tonight, I want to encourage you to open your scriptures to the book of Ephesians. Last week, as I was finishing up Ephesians 4, and then I made the statement that we would be uh, moving on to Ephesians 5, and then I began to recognize that we really didn't have enough time uh, to jump into Ephesians 5, uh, and then it would just be broken up and with communion and then the Advent season, and so uh, we're going to hold off uh, Ephesians 5, uh, our study of it, until the new year. So we're going to look at Ephesians chapter 4 one more time. Um, but today, we're going to look at a fee, a pa- the same passage in Ephesians 4 that we were last week. But rather than me exegeting the text, I really wanted to speak to a, um, an issue that is embedded in, the, in Ephesians chapter 4 and that we've alluded to. It, but I want to kind of hit on the topic of God-honoring communication. 20 years ago, in the winter of... 2000, Tammy and I were newlyweds, and we were in ministry in New York City, and our church sent us out to be trained in, to, in, to, to the town of Lafayette, Indiana, to receive training in biblical counseling. Now, there were several hundred people there at Faith Church there in Lafayette, uh, some, of the, some of us were in full-time ministry, but many had given up vacation time and were lay uh, people who God had just given the uh, ministry of counseling to, and they were, they were just desirous to be able to use the scripture to be able to help those that they love through the pr- uh, problems that came up in life. And through that week that we were there, it was just some excellent material covering a range of topics, Um, and I've used it, much of it, throughout my ministry over the last two decades, but none of it more than what we're going to talk about this morning. I use this stuff all the time, and it felt, many of you haven't been to me for counseling, um, but it felt like this is such good basic stuff that we need to be reminded of. It didn't make sense for me to... uh, just reserve it for a counseling session and whatnot. A lot of the, the, uh, the counseling I find myself in anyways is not necessarily formal. It's really informal. It's conversations that people have. And, and, and in one sense, all Christians have this kind of counseling ministry, that it is a, um, you know, you're around someone, you recognize they're, you know, they're going through a hard time, and you want to take God's word and say, how can this help, Right? I see some people that are cold. If anyone wants to close these windows, you can feel free to do that if it feels, uh, if it feels too drafty. Um, one area that people need help in, all people, and I put myself in this, is the area of communicating. We can botch this one big time. I mean, you don't have to you don't have to have a degree. You just got to live long enough to see that people struggle to know how to communicate, particularly when the issue uh, is around conflict uh, and in homes. I mean, we dress it up nice when we come to church, honestly, right? I mean, 
Bill, you got your arm around Lou Ann there. I mean, we'd all be looking and saying, wow, Lou Ann, man, she is one lucky lady. She doesn't, probably doesn't have any conflict in her house. Right, right? I, I don't know anything about it, right? But I just know when you put two sinners close enough, long enough, you're going to have conflict. So learning how to communicate in those situations is really important. Whenever I do premarital counseling, um, there's always at least one session about communication. Usually there's two because there's a session on conflict resolution and there's another one about communication. They're really two different names for the same thing. Um, but I like this book. This is actually a book that was put out by that same church in Lafayette, Indiana. Um, and it talks about having Jesus at the center. But there's a chapter, having Jesus at the center of your communication. And I say to couples who are engaged, who are in love, who think, man, this is going to be awesome forever. Like, this, this girl, this guy is my soulmate. Like, we'll never have conflict. It'll be bliss, right? And we'll just, hey, everybody who's married, we felt the same way too once. Uh, not that they, we, we haven't found our soulmate, but it's not always perfect. And, um, but I tell couples in premarital counseling that if they will prioritize communication, I believe any couple can have a great marriage if they will communicate with one another biblically. I also say if a couple stops communicating, that there is no way that their relationship won't suffer. So good communication is needed in every relationship, uh, not just marriage. It's needed in relationship with uh, coworkers, between friends, good communication between parents and children, uh, between parents or between adult children and their, uh, their parents, next generation up. So good communication is important. And I want to say from the outset that I have not arrived. Uh, there's always one of those uh, challenges when you're preaching God's Word. You, 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 I want to stand up and I want to declare what God's Word says, but I also don't want to give the impression as if I've, I've mastered this, because I certainly haven't. You spend any amount of time. Deborah had the uh, uh, experience of living in our home for a few months. Uh, it's always a little awkward when you're someone's pastor and they're living in your home, and you're like, man... Is she's going to see what the real pastor is like, right? So she knows that uh, I haven't arrived. I'm a work in progress. Um, I also want to make another ex disclaimer is that the, the principles here in Ephesians 4 are not going to solve all communication issues. Um, but I do think they help point us in the right direction. So as we have looked at over the last few weeks, Ephesians 4 is about a transformed life, and it gives Paul's um, demonstration of putting off the old self, being renewed in the spirit of your mind with a biblical worldview, and then putting on the new self, which is being re, uh, remade in the image of God. So uh, 
have that kind of context in mind because you may have some patterns of communication and you think, man, I'm just, I'm just sort of gruff or whatnot or, you know, I, I'm sort of passive in the way I talk. Um, or, I, you know, I'm just quiet. I don't talk a whole lot. Um, what I hope is that as you look at this, you realize that wherever you're at on that spectrum, um, if God's word has something else for you, you can take off the old self and you can put on the new self as you are renewed with a biblical worldview. So um, you can teach an old dog new tricks. So the first principle, there's going to be four principles if you're a note taker. Um, The four principles of God honoring communication here in Ephesians 4. The first one is be honest. Simple. Be honest. Look in Ephesians 4 verse 25. It says, Having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor. We must speak the truth with our neighbor. What you don't see here in English is that this is actually a command. We are commanded to speak. This is important because people cannot read your mind. Uh, Nonverbal communication is legitimate, but it only goes so far. Uh, So we are commanded to speak. Uh, One tactic that I have seen, I've seen this in my own life, is a sort of long, cold winter tactic to conflict, dealing with conflict. That is, and I see this in, sometimes in counseling sessions, that there's been an offense, there's been something has said, and the other person just locked down, and they're just going to wait it out. The other person maybe has known that they've said something that's been hurtful, and they want to make it right, and that the other person holds all the cards, and they aren't going anywhere. They're just going to make them suffer through the long, cold winter uh, of non-communication. What I say in those situations is though, though it may seem like you're holding the power, though it may seem like that's the easier route, just don't say anything. Like uh, you maybe have heard, if you don't have anything good to say, don't say anything at all, right? That was something I was taught as a kid. Um, you got to be careful how that one's applied, right? Because silence and isolation is really not an option for someone who wants to be Christ-centered. We have to speak. We're commanded to speak, but we're commanded to speak truth. Not just speak. Now, let me ask you a question. I want you to answer this internally. Why is it that sometimes speaking the truth is so difficult? Think of a situation where there's a conflict. Why is speaking the truth so difficult? Maybe you're afraid that the truth is going to isolate you more. Maybe that you're afraid that the truth is actually going to hurt the person more. And there are, those are legitimate concerns, I think. However, it is never better to be deceptive, ever. It's never better to be deceptive with your words. 
And so one of the things people have to learn, and we don't really have time in this message to kind of work through it, but how can you speak the truth in ways that are winsome and helpful rather than just being blunt? Because Jesus identifies himself with the truth, right? John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life, right? Jesus himself identifies with truth. And so if we are going to be Jesus' people, truth matters, right? We can't be deceptive. This whole you know, idea of the white lie or the, uh, you know, it's just a little lie or something um, like that. That's not helpful. Jesus wants us to be truth tellers. The alternative of being a truth teller is to be someone who just essentially seeks isolation or living in somewhat perpetual anxiety of like if, if, if deception is the way you handle conflict, you're always sort of wondering, ooh, uh, what did I say last time? Or what did I say to this person? And has that person talked to this person? And so you're always sort of wondering, when is this thing, when's this house of cards going to come down? If deception is your M.O. Now, the, um, the, I say this about driving, not that I always obey this one either. If you never speed, you don't have to worry about the cops, right? When you drive past a cop, if you never speed, like, you don't, your heart rate doesn't ever have to go up because you've not done anything wrong. If you're not practicing deception, you don't ever have to have that anxiety like, when are they going to find out? Or who, what do I have to tell this person? So be, we need to speak, but we need to speak truth. But we need to speak truth a certain way, and that is truth in love. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 15 gives us that modifying aspect when it says um, that we are to, rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the creds, who is the head into Christ. We are to speak, we are to speak the truth, and we are to speak it in love. In a fallen world, we all know that the truth can be really painful, right? Sometimes Tammy has to tell me things about me, things I've done, things I've said that I don't like hearing, right? Sometimes we have to do that if we're in relationship with people. But it is really not a Christian virtue to be brutally honest, right? Some people find that to be like liberating. I'm just brutally honest. Well, you might be liberated. Meanwhile, the other person feels like they've just, you know, just taken a beating in a prize fight. So the question is, and this has to do with how we speak truth, when you speak hard truth into someone's life, do you have that person's best interest? That's a really important question. Do you have their best interest in mind when you say that truth, even though you know it's going to be hard? Because if you don't, that's going to come across. But if you do, that'll come across too because it'll show that it, you're leaning into that person. And even as they may respond to the, what feels like criticism or something, 
They, re- they recognize, but this, this person is for me. They're for this, in, this relationship. They don't want to see it broken. But if someone's just like, you know, well, we'll get in that in just a moment. So a couple questions. Are you evasive in your speech? Do you have a pattern of going into the long, cold winter where there's a standoff and nobody speaks? One last point, if you are a, the person who is being the, on the receiving end of a hard truth, right? When someone comes to you with a truth or something that they perceive to be truth, as Christians, our heart needs to be postured to receive it so that it builds natural bridges to better communication. If you're heart, and, th- and this is really part of what it means to be in Christ, I think, when I say that is where our identity lies. If our identity lies in Christ, then we can receive hard things um, from other people because we know that our acceptance is already secured by Jesus. But if our identity is not in Christ, then we're going to go into defense mode, no matter how loving someone is. When criticism comes, we're going to go into justification mode. So you have to ask yourself, am I postured to receive truth from someone in love? So that's principle number one, be honest. Second principle is uh, here in Ephesians 4, verse 26, and it's keep current. Keep current in your communication. If we're going to communicate with Christ at the center of our lives, we must not be people that hold offenses against other people. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. We talked about this a little bit last week, right? Don't let the sun go down. What is Paul talking about? He's talking about unresolved conflicts. Uh, when we allow unresolved conflicts, they don't go away, right? The old sweeping it under the carpet really just makes a lumpy carpet. It doesn't go away. They simply pile up. Unresolved conflict allows for the slow burn. Some of us have been in households like that, right? Some kids have grown up in households where there's that slow burn between parents. And that's because it's unresolved. When we don't resolve conflicts, it allows for the old hand grenade from the past to be thrown into a current conflict. Ever done that? You're losing the argument. You reach back into the past for an offense that the other person did, maybe this is at work, and you lob it into the present, and you said, well, you did that in April. What does that got to do with anything? Well, it's because there's an unresolved offense. So, it, And unresolved offenses distort not present, but also future conflict, future problems. I remember when we were in New York, one good thing about having pastored in multiple churches is you can use 
the stories of bad things that happened there, and y'all don't know any of them, but uh, I remember when we were in New York that there was, uh, there was a guy, his name was Andre, and um, Andre was, I mean, he was awesome. I mean, he was served on the worship team and was just, from external, it seemed like everything was going well. Then all of a sudden, he leaves his wife and kids. They just had twins with one other, like, two-year-old, and he just takes off. We're like, what in the world? And, it's, and he, he's trying to explain it, and it's like this little infraction that between he and his wife, we're like, are you kidding me? What are you doing? Well, after weeks and weeks and sort of just trying to pull it out, I mean, there was a mountain of unresolved conflict that they just never dealt with. They hadn't stayed current. We must be committed, brothers and sisters, in conflict to keeping short lists, which means you got to deal with your stuff now. You got to stay current. You got to work your things out. And if you can't work it out alone, you got to bring in some brothers and sisters to help you work things through. Now, what I would say in this is that this does not mean that you got to have a like a massive powwow about every transgression. First Peter 4 says that love covers a multitude of sins. There's going to be times when you just feel like, you know what, Alec didn't mean that. It's, it's late. It's been a long day. We can talk about this, but that's like, it's not in the, it's not in the flow of who he is. Um, you know, I'm speaking as if I were Tammy, right? Um, or Tammy, vice versa. That's not who Tammy is. Yeah, she, she maybe was frustrated, but that's not who she is. So you let love cover uh, that sin. But what happens is sometimes you find that there's a barrier being built up. Sometimes, um, and uh, when when something begins to put a division between a person you're in relationship with, whether that's a friend or a spouse or a sibling or something like that, that's when you need to begin to put these in place. So hopefully you understand. You don't have to have a massive talk every time, but if it is significant enough to put up a barrier. Now, here's another thing. It may not seem significant to you, but if it's significant to the other person, then you need to be willing to have that talk, right? That's important. Um, you'd be like, come on, man, this is not that big of a deal. But if it is a big a deal to them, love says you got to have that talk. So I know many couples who've stayed up into the wee hours of the night trying to apply this thing, not let the sun go down on their wrath. They didn't want to go to bed angry. Um, so, do what it takes. That's the second principle. First principle, be honest. Second principle, stay current. Third principle, um, verse 29, encourage, don't attack. When you're communicating with somebody, do it in an encouraging way, not in an attacking way. Verse 29, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up 
Last week I mentioned that the word corrupting here is the same root word for rotten, like rotten fruit. Uh, There are ways of talking that create a rottenness in the relationship. Uh, It actually decays the relationship. Uh, One way to do that is to attack the problem, I'm sorry, attack the person and not the problem, right? So here's the difference. I use myself as an example. Please don't assume that everything I say about myself is true. Otherwise, you may come away with the idea that I'm a complete creep. Um, Let's say I get busted in a lie, right? Tell an untrue thing. Tammy uh, finds out about it. And she, um, Benjamin's like, what? Um, And... Tammy can approach this in a couple of ways. She can say, I'm not sure that was true, what you just said. Or she could say, you're a liar. You are a liar. Now, you could make a case that both of those are true. One helps me to recognize I got some work to do, and it, pull, it draws me into the relationship. I don't think that was actually true. Can we talk about this? Are you, are you being honest with me, Alec? Right? That's attacking the problem, the untruth. To make a character assassination of me, you liar, you dirty liar, I'm going to be like, come on. I think you get my point is that when we deal with conflict, we can talk in corrupting ways that decay the relationship, that tear it down, or we can can deal with some really hard things in ways that build it up. Don't let corrupting talk, talk come out of your mouth, but only that which is good for building up. Other ways that decay relationships is telling jokes or stories that pull others down or put other people down. When, if Jesus is going to be the center of your relationship, center of your communication, you need to use words to build people up. I remember hearing this story. This is, I remember hearing this before I had kids, and I just thought this was the greatest. I've used it with my son uh, in the past, but a, a pastor, a friend of mine, is a pastor I work with in New York, he was talking about his dad, and he just loved his dad, and he said that sometimes... Like nothing was going on. Like everything was normal. He hadn't done anything. And his dad would just say, Eddie. And you know, as a kid, you're just like, oh man, what did I do? What did I do? Right? And he's like, yeah, dad. And he'd say, just want to tell you I love you, buddy. (laughs) So he used his words to affirm his son. Because I think, and I'm saying this because some of you guys are going to have kids. Some of us already do have kids. Um, A lot of times kids just get, like, nitpicked. And I I don't do it as much as I should, but I, I can tell you, if you ask Benjamin, he'll tell you there have been times I did that same thing. Ben, what? Love you, buddy. Am I true? Please Please don't throw me under the bus right now, son. 
See, he said, yeah. <laughs> Ephesians chapter 6, verse 2, Colossians 3, 21 says, Fathers, don't agitate or don't provoke your kids to anger. Uh, I think it's interesting that it says fathers in this. I don't think it's right for mothers to do this also, but I think it's us, particularly us dads who can provoke our kids to anger by nitpicking, always pointing out the problems. I think a way that we can communicate, this, is, this can be parent to child, this could be coworker, to, uh, it could be friends, it could be to parents, whatever, is that... Um, we recognize the way that you can communicate to build up is that you call out what good you see, recognizing evidences of God's grace. Uh, do you do that in your communication? Do you encourage rather than attack? Do you look for ways? It doesn't mean that there's no problems to work out, but is the weight of your communication acknowledging those things that you see God's doing? Um, you may have seen driving downtown, First Methodist Church. You just kept going down Walnut Street, eventually on the right-hand side. When you cross over uh, Queen or Lime, uh, First Methodist is on the right. And they had scaffolding going up around their tower. Uh, I happen to know how much money they spent on fixing that tower. It's a lot of money. It was a lot, a lot, a lot of money. Uh, because it was mortar, they needed to do some point work and whatnot. Uh, but to an outsider, uh, it looked like it was fine. But that thing was falling down. Um, and uh, they had the, I think they had three opportunities. They could have ignored the problem. Uh, they could have decided to tear the whole thing down. Um, but the people of First Methodist Church felt like that tower was worth investing in. They would invest money because it was meaningful to them. And edifying communication is sort of similar to that. Uh, it doesn't mean there's not a problem. Uh, you can ignore the problem. You can tear down because there's a problem. Or you can invest in the relationship and decide that it's worth it. Uh, and... Um, and, and, and make something more beautiful from it. So how do you see, here's a question, how do you see God's grace at work in someone who there's a conflict? Could you, could you sort of highlight that? Uh, where do you see them making good progress? Maybe it says uh, with uh, older children, how do you see them uh, walk? Maybe they're not making the best decisions, but what good do you see that you can call out? Uh, and then I guess lastly, I would just say, do you treat those uh, relationships? Do you treat people uh, with the same patience and kindness that God treats you when you mess up? Fourth principle is act, don't react. And this is verses 31 and 32. Uh, whenever two sinners are in a relationship, fireworks are bound to happen, right? Uh, we see this as kids get into their teenage years, right? When they're, when they're young, Pretty compliant because mom and dad are bigger. Getting those teenage years, they start flexing their muscles, start resisting that authority. Well, I was in with some friends the other night and they were talking about a story at the beginning. This is a married couple. 
they were talking about the beginning of COVID. Y'all remember this? Maybe some of y'all are still doing this, but I remember doing this first few weeks of COVID. Like you'd go to the grocery store and you'd bring it home and you went through a special door and then you like put it on a table that was only used for that and then you like wipe it everything down before it could go into the house. And I mean, it was like this. Y'all remember that? Did y'all do that or was that just some millions? I mean, it was an ordeal. Um, well, our friends were telling us about this. That, I mean, they were so freaked out. They lived down in closer to Philly. They were so freaked out. She went and spent $500 on groceries. She was like, I'm getting it because everything's shutting down. She got $500 worth of groceries to the counter. Oh, man. She said they, as soon as they rung the last item, she realized she didn't have her wallet. So she calls her husband, who's like two blocks away, you know, he's working from home. Hey, can you bring my wallet? So he brings it down, you know, uh, pays for the thing. They get it all home. They clean everything out, uh, clean all of it up. They put it all in their cupboards. And then the husband says, um, well, you need to go take a shower now. <laughs> She's like, I took a shower this morning. He's like, doesn't matter. You were with a bunch of people. You need to take a shower right now. I'm not taking a shower right now. I'm tired. You need to take a shower right now. And so we're, we're listening to this story, and finally we're like, did you take a shower? She's like, yeah, I took a shower. <laughs> but, you know, we get into these tense situations where anger and resentment and bitterness and malice and slander, all the things that Paul mentions in verse 31, these are just reactions, right? You don't have to learn how to do that. They just come out. That's because we're broken, that's why I say the fourth principle in good communication is act, don't react. You have to be intentional in situations like that to be kind, tenderhearted, and forgiving. So here's, just to wrap it all up, be honest in your speaking. Speak the truth in love. Be current. Stay current. Keep a short list. And if you've got some things right now that you're dealing with that are sort of hangovers from the past, bring them up now when they're not in a, there's not a tense moment and say, hey, I'm not quite finished with this. Can we talk about this again in a, in a helpful way to keep that list short? Encourage. Don't attack. And then lastly, act with intentionality the way God would want you to and don't react. Bill, why don't you come on up and we're going to close with a song. We're singing Freely, Freely. This is a song about how we respond to the free grace of God. Uh, I hope that as we've gone through this, perhaps you've seen some ways that you can align your communication better with what God's Word says. But as we prepare to sing this last song in closing, I want us to draw our attention to the last verse, last words in chapter 4, and the first words in chapter 5. Remember, the chapter headings didn't exist when it was first written. Chapter 4, verse 32 says, Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, 
as God in Christ forgave you. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. I feel like this has really got to be our motivation because ultimately if our motivation is to have a good marriage or have a good friendship or have a good relationship with our child, eventually that other person is going to lack sufficient resources to keep us motivated, right? Particularly if it can continue to hurt you. But Jesus Christ is to be our motivation and his grace and his sacrifice, and his love, uh, and his forgiveness. That is to be our motivation as we seek to change in all ways, but especially in our communication. Others will fail us. We're going to fail others. But as they say down at Sandy Cove, Jesus never fails. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you, God, that...